You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. All right, I'm pumped. Let's go. And watch that video for a few weeks. I, uh, I'm always, my mind's like this before, but um, so today, a little challenge for you. I'm going to show three different people in this morning's service on the screen. My bet is that uh, 30 to 40% of you will know the first one, 98% of you will know the second one, and here is my venture, the third one. I'll bet you less than 1% will know the third person, okay? So just a little tease here. Uh, first service, one person knew the first one, but they didn't or one person knew the last one, but they didn't know the first one. If you know all three, I'll give you some swag or something. From <laughs> you, you are really good. So, you know, I want to start with an image of this particular gentleman. And Tech, I'm going to need you today. Anybody know who that is? How many of you knew who that was? Oh, man. Less, you know, this is the 1045 crew, so it might be a younger crew. This is Steve McQueen, okay? Steve McQueen, referred to many times as an American icon, an iconic figure in American culture. Steve McQueen, actually they did a, a, a thing not uh, a while back about who was more cool, Steve McQueen or James Dean? And anybody under 40 is like, none of them. But this is a big deal. These are iconic from our history, from our American culture. And they, they, they surmised or they, they ended up saying that Steve McQueen is the coolest person. He is the king of cool. Now, if you're like me, you didn't live or remember Steve McQueen, you can appreciate, though, that he is what is called now the father of what is now the, the a modern action movie. And this guy was ridiculous in his uh, ability to act. He would do his own stunts. and He was just kind of an iconic figure in cinema. He played in The Magnificent Seven, starred in Bullet, starred in The Great Escape. Is this ringing any bells to anybody? That's what I thought. Well, at least you'll have something to Google this afternoon. Steve McQueen, right? Honestly, if you look at his life, you could say that if you're, if you're looking at a picture of an American self-made man, Steve McQueen would fit that profile. Steve McQueen's story is, is uh, crazy. His childhood, by the time he was nine years old, his mom had remarried twice and both of his stepfathers would beat him. So much so that he reacted to that. At nine years old, he left home and didn't have a home per se. Lived on the streets, lived with friends. And of course, what happens with a kid that age who lives on the streets per se? His life became just a, a saga of, of crime and trouble and searching and substance abuse. I mean, his teenage years, to read his story, it's just, wow. He bounced everywhere, around everywhere, tried to go back home, 
ended up at the bottom of the stairs after his stepfather had hit him in the face, tumbled down the stairs, runs away from home again, ends up traveling abroad. It was in a circus, uh, just all sorts of stuff. Really, Steve McQueen in his mid-20s is just a really sad story. Like, you and I would have looked at him and said, you just feel sorry for that guy. I mean, just everything was against him. He had no chance growing up. He acted out. He was in trouble with the law and all this stuff. But in his mid-20s, Steve McQueen lands in California, and he actually becomes aware, somebody made him aware of some, some acting classes he could take. Steve McQueen, what does he have to lose? He goes and just kind of interested, and guess what? He's really good. In fact, he's so good that out of the acting classes, people notice him, and it is within just a short amount of time, a period of years, this prodigal, messed up young man is a front man in Hollywood in movies. He goes from having absolutely nothing to being immensely wealthy, an iconic figure who has it all. Uh, he captures you know, so much of our culture, this guy who would, who would do his own stunts and would, uh, he was a race car driver on the side. He was a daredevil. It was like he lived mile, life a hundred miles an hour. He said, if I got one life to live, I'm going to do my best to grab a handful of all of it, was one of the phrases he used. Until he had been in that, that situation for about 20 years. McQueen, maybe a little bit longer than that, just, just, was so empty, was so empty that he walked away, walked away from Hollywood. Still movies to make, fame to be had, money to be earned. He walks away. His wife, his third wife at that time, wrote a biography of him. And in that biography, she said, Steve McQueen had experienced and ran after everything in this world, chased it all. And yet the one thing that eluded him, he could never find, he was still searching for, and that was inner peace. Peace. Couldn't find it. And so he walked away from everything. He was immensely wealthy, bought a place outside of Ventura, California. He bought this big hangar where he could put all of his motorcycles and cars and exotic things. And he just wanted to get away. He was empty. The one thing he didn't do in his life that he wanted to learn how to do was fly a plane, of course, right? The guy who's the daredevil wants to learn how to fly. And so he buys a little plane and he talks to his buddies and tries to find out who can teach him how to fly. And they point him to this, this guy named Sammy, Sammy Mason. Uh, Sammy Mason had been a stunt pilot, an instructor, and it was kind of known in that area. And he said, you got you to get Sammy. And so so uh, Steve reaches out, they have a conversation, they agree, and for the next period of time, they spend hours together in the cockpit of a little jet, just flying around, teaching him, flying all over Southern California. One day, Steve looks at Sammy and says, Sammy, I've spent time with you, now it's been hours. And he looked at him and said, Sammy, there's just something different about you. You possess something that I don't have. Just something about you. What in the world is it about you? Sammy Mason looked at Steve McQueen and said, Steve, the thing that makes me different from you is my relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And he began to talk to Steve about this, the American icon, king of cool. Steve was moved by that conversation and actually a little while later decided to start attending a local church in close to Ventura. He shows up, and of course, when Steve McQueen, and that obviously not today, right? No one even knows who he is, but like in that, in the late 70s, everybody knew who he was. And he walked in, and, and when he started to attend, the pastor kind of tried to discreetly tell everybody, hey, can we just leave him alone? Just let him come to church. Don't bother him. And they did. Just let him come, you know, sitting on the same row as Steve McQueen, king of cool. Leonard, Pastor Leonard, shares that one Sunday after a while, he was visiting with people at the end of service like we do, and he felt a tap on his shoulder and turned around. It was Steve McQueen. So he was like, Pastor, could I, uh, I'd like to, to chat with you this week. He said, sure, come on in. He did. For two to three hours, Leonard would tell you, he was still alive, would tell you that Steve just asked him a ton of questions. Is this real? Does God really forgive? Just ask him and ask him and ask him. And finally, just kind of abruptly at the end of that conversation, Steve got up and said, thank you. I've heard what I need to hear. Thank you. And Leonard looked at him and said, Steve, I got a question for you. Before he could ask his question, Steve looked at him and said, yeah, you want to know if I'm born again, if I believe in Jesus. He said, a couple weeks ago, you preached and I made that decision. I'm going to start believing in Jesus. The next year of Steve McQueen, the king of cool. The king of cool meets the king of kings, right? That's a great line. You can use that somewhere. But like he just immerses himself in Bible studies and being around the fellow believers. Like he just wants his insatiable thirst for Jesus. He's just growing by leaps and bounds. He's like, I want to use this, but I want to know what I'm talking about. I just want to spend time, right? For a year, this is Steve McQueen's life. Along that time, though, the story is that he had been feeling really bad. And he went to a doctor's appointment. And the doctor looked at him and said, Steve, I, got, I have terrible news. You have cancer. It's all through your body. You've just got a couple months. For the next few months, Steve just couldn't stop talking to everybody. He came in contact, friends, family about what had happened in his life. In fact, this is a line that Steve shared in those final days. My biggest regret is that I was not able to tell more people what Christ has done for me. As we finish up this series, and again, the premise of this series is that we all are called to live on a journey with Jesus. I get that there's so many different personalities in this room. There's so many skill sets and backgrounds and experiences and abilities. And that means a whole lot of different things, what our life is going to look like. But there's one thing that I am absolutely confident that everyone has have in common. And that is we have been designed to walk with God. We have been wired. We have been put together with this, just like Steve McQueen. We just know there's something that I was purposed to live with, to live into. And that is to, the scriptures call it, walk with God, to be in a personal relationship with God. We've spent 
six weeks looking at three verses from one of those guys that were called to follow. Follow me as I follow Christ, the Apostle Paul. As he kind of shares what his journey with Christ looked like. And if you're like me, if somebody does something well, I'm interested. If I'm going to do something, I, I look at best practices or what's the best template, blueprint. And Paul kind of writes that out in Philippians chapter 3. And in these three verses, there's six phrases that we've tried to grab a hold of. If I'm called to walk with Jesus, if I'm in a journey with Jesus, what does that look like? What do I need to know about that? And Paul fills that in for us, colors it in, and these phrases. He, he says phrases like, one thing I do, one thing I do. Don't miss the journey. Don't get sidetracked that life is about, life is about walking with Jesus every day. It, we're called to live on this consistent journey with Jesus. He talks about that walking with Jesus, you learn how to forget what is behind, and that is leave behind what is behind, right? Let it go. Go forward. Don't be distracted where you're always looking back. He says, straining or looking forward to what is ahead. And it's this idea of keeping forward momentum. How do I keep one foot keep going in front of the other. Sometimes they're small steps. Sometimes they're runs. Sometimes they're like almost on my knees. But how do I keep going? And we talked about that one week, about how God has given us these spiritual practices to keep us moving forward, his word, his people, and, and allowing yourself to, to uh, fill your life with these things so you keep moving forward. We talked about that on the journey, it's important to, to recognize that as this is a journey, there is still much for us to see and learn and do. And it calls for us to have a heart of humility, not to, like Paul says, not that I've already arrived or I've attained or, yeah, I've got it all figured out. It's no journey with Jesus is a call, a walk to a life that something's new today. Something can continue to be learned. I can continue to grow and develop. And journey with Jesus absolutely calls for us to live lives full of humility. Last week, we talked about the tenacity that's required on staying on journey with Jesus. He uses this phrase twice, I press on. Uh, that, that journey with Jesus is, is a call to, to be willing to not quit, to not give up, not give in, and not opt out. Good, bad, ugly, I am going to allow my heart to persevere, to endure. Did anybody remember the word we shared last week? Oh, somebody removed. Yeah, Becky. Hupomone, right? That in our life with, with, uh, with God, that he absolutely is wanting to develop in us hupomone. This, you know what? That was a tough day. That was a tough week. That was a tough season. But I'm not giving up on the goodness of God. I'm not going anywhere. I stubbornly persist in believing in God's grace and his goodness and his love and his plan for my life. I press on. And the last phrase I want you to think about is this one. Let's read this. Because we're uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. We're now in the fourth quarter of this series. And the fourth quarter is winning time, right? Like you want to win the fourth quarter, the end of the game. Let's, let's read. Philippians chapter 3. Not that I've already attained all of this, that humility we've talked about. Or I've already arrived at my goal. I mean, this is Paul we're talking about. But he still is humble. I press on, again, that tenacity to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ has taken hold of me. 
Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. I still see that every day with God is a new thing. But one thing I do, I'm not going to miss it. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on, and this is what we want to consider today, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. And that word heavenward, um, the NIV, I don't, I'm not in love with this translation, okay? Um, I like the NIV, but like the King James would say high calling. Um, ESV would say upward call. This upward call in Christ Jesus. It's this phrase, win the prize. What does that mean? That in journey with Jesus, there's a prize to be won. This word is from uh, the word that was used in that Greek culture of a judge or an empire at the games, like kind of like the Olympic games. It was the one who determined that you played by the rules, you fairly played, and then you won the contest. How do I see that happen? How do I win the prize, so to speak, in my journey with Christ? Well, traditionally, and what I grew up with a lot, and I'm going to rattle your cage here for a minute, so just stick with me and don't throw me out as a heretic yet, okay? But traditionally, what has been postured so many times is that to win the prize is to just make it to heaven, man. Just make it to heaven. Okay? Now, before you look, stop glaring at me, what are you saying, Chip? We're not supposed to, try to, we don't want to, we're not supposed to want to go to heaven? No. Absolutely, that's a part of the price. Absolutely. Don't misunderstand me. To win the prize, part of that prize is to make it to heaven. To spend eternity with God in his presence. But can I tell you, the scriptures are actually teaching something a little bit more mature than just that elementary kind of understanding. That God actually has something designed for you and I's life that's just even better than making it to heaven. As great as that is. Let me, let me walk you through this a little bit. Philippians 1, and this is why, just for, can I take a detour? Because I get sometimes people are like, Chip, you frustrate me sometimes. You, you, uh, I wish you did more invitations. I don't know if you're in this room, so I can just talk freely, right? And I hear you sometimes. Like, I wrestle with that myself. And I understand. I, you understand, though, the first 1,800 years of Christianity, there was no invitations, right? That was a tool that's been used the last 200 years. I don't know why I'm getting into this detour, but I am. And I don't know why I'm here. And I totally get that there's moments we call people to commitment. But what I'm afraid of, what I've seen, and what modern American Christianity has taught us is that far too often we've invited people to make a decision for Jesus and not told them that they are to be a disciple of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I'm scared to death that sometimes if you make a decision, you think, 
Now I'm just going to hang on for dear life and try to get to heaven. And really, it's much deeper and more broad. It's more rich and more life-giving. It's more abundant. And it actually makes sense. And that's honestly why a world around us and American Christianity is growing increasingly secular because they've looked at the church who've made millions of decisions for Jesus, but they have not modeled the life of Jesus in its culture. Amen? The world desperately needs us to do more than make a decision, although absolutely I have decided to follow Jesus. But I understand that that's just the first step in what is now a journey of becoming a disciple of Jesus. So you understand my struggle here sometimes. Like, I just want to preach in such a way that Wednesday morning, what I said from the scriptures is still bothering you. It's still convicting you. God's still through the power of his Holy Spirit working in you. And we didn't just wrap up a nice little box and bow on Sunday morning and preach to a decision and then walk out and forget about Jesus on Wednesday because I kind of compartmentalized it and did my little Jesus thing. <laughs> Should I just quit? <laughs> you guys are looking at me like, you are crazy. I believe in decisions for Jesus, but I believe that the biggest thing is go and make disciples. That's what our world desperately needs. <laughs> Look at what Philippians chapter 1 says. Paul, in the beginning of this book, says, Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will be faithful, will carry it on to completion. See, God has got more intended for our life than just Say a prayer, believe on him, and think that you just hang on till you get to heaven. God has a good work that he's wanting to do in each of our lives. In fact, Romans would say it this way, one of my very favorite passages in all of Scripture. And we know, you guys know this verse inside and out. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's awesome. That even when I face hard times, like we talked about last week, God works it for good. Right? He makes me a better person. That's unbelievable. We, we cling to this verse. Absolutely. We're, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. But what, if, what are his purposes? Keep reading. 8.29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now some of you are really paying attention. Like, what are you going to do with those words, Chip? I'm going to tell you that God, as Ephesians 1 says, that before the foundation of the world, God determined that he was going to have a holy people. God doesn't predetermine people, but he has predetermined a plan. This is what I'm going to have available and what I'm going to call my people to. Amen? Like he predetermined, I want a people that look like Jesus Christ. That look like, because this is what he says the purpose of God is he predetermined that he wanted to conform us to the image of his son. You ask yourself, what does God want to do in my life? Does he just want me to say a prayer and say, hang on till I get to heaven? No. God wants to conform you to the image of his son. This is what the prize is the prize is 
what Jesus said that all of Scripture is to love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. That is what Jesus Christ modeled perfectly for us. He loved the Father completely, and he loved us in such a way that he died for our sins. And this is what he's wanting and calling us to. This is the prize. Is heaven great? Yes. But is the prize bigger than heaven? Yes. And in fact, why this is such a rich prize is as you and I begin to be conformed, and this word conformed, it's, 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 I love this, it's indicating an interchange of nature which then begins to work into an outward life of conduct. God begins to change our heart so that we begin to look, begin to sense and feel and know what Jesus felt, and we begin to live like Jesus. And why is this such a prize? It's because Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, but I want you to be the light of the world. The prize is that you and I get to reflect the image of Jesus to lost, hurting, broken people that need God's grace. Are you still with me? Does that make sense? No one says it's bad to go to heaven. I did not say that. But I say God has more than that for you. Hmm. Let me show you a second picture. You recognize this guy? How many of you recognize him? Oh, you bunch of liars. On a day when 120 million people are going to watch the Super Bowl, this guy was in like 10 Super Bowls, right? This is Tom Brady. By the world's estimation, Tom Brady has won the prize. Has he not? Fame. Fortune. Pleasures. He's had it all. Accomplished quarterback, immensely wealthy, married to supermodels or whatever, you know, not anymore, but. You understand that the world around us looks at Tom Brady and says, I wish I had his life, right? Like he's won the prize, he hit the lotto. Listen to the words of Tom Brady in an interview. Why do I have these rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. You've got the life. Man, you've reached your goal, your dream. Me, I'm thinking, God, it's got to be more than this. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it all, and I'm, sound familiar? He goes on to say, I wish I, I wish I knew. I mean, there's a part of me trying to go out and experience other things. It goes on and on in that interview. I want to remind you that when Paul says to win the prize, that you and I are able to experience this. It's not for a select few, and it's definitely not those that have fame, fortune, and experience all these things. The prize, the greatest prize you could ever have is for your life to begin to take on the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
What are his purposes? To be conformed, shaped into the image of his son. You can do this. I can do this. I don't have to come from the right place or have this certain amount of abilities or know the right people or have this pedigree. God is saying that there is a prize, a goal to be accomplished in this walk and it's becoming like Jesus himself. And in so doing, you glorify and reveal God and his grace and his goodness to the world around you. This is the prize. I want to finish with this way, with this guy. Um, We're going to see. Anybody know who this guy is? If you know it, please shout it out. I'm very impressed. (laughs) This is Hernan Cortez. Yeah, everybody knows Hernan, right? Oh, yeah. High school buddies, right? This is from the 1500s. Hernan Cortez, a Spanish explorer, in 1519 lands on the shores of what is Mexico. It's the Aztec Empire. Okay? And I get that as I tell Cortez's story a little bit, that there's no doubt that we can all talk about, well, was that a good idea to try to take that? And we have conquerors and kingdoms and all sorts of things down through history, right? And yet I I want to help you understand something about Cortez that I think hits exactly on what Scripture is wanting us to know. Cortez lands on that coast with the Aztec Empire and its 10,000 soldiers. He lands in 11 boats, 11 ships. He had 508 soldiers, 100 sailors, and 16 horses. He looks around, he starts to do some recon, talk to local people who also want to be free from the Aztec Empire. But I want you to think about how daunting that is. 508 soldiers, 100 sailors. And Cortez makes a decision. And you have to know Cortez. Like, he came from nothing and was able to rise up in in the Spanish culture to become a government official. He even was a mayor in Cuba. He had a life of ease, and yet he realized that he just, my life is meant for something more, and he became this explorer. Instead of just living his years out in, in comfort, he stood on that shore, and after some time, he made a decision. It was a decision that really determined the fate of his life and it it decision that changed the civilization in that in that particular reason and honestly today 500 years later we're still talking about it he looked at his men and he said i want 10 of those ships to be scuttled legend would say that he had them burned 10 of them destroyed He said, the other ship, I want a few of you to get on that ship and I want you to sail back to Spain. I want you to tell them what we're going to do. You see, facing that, 
Cortez makes a decision to be all in, to give himself no ability to get back in a boat and sail away. I mean, it was a decision to sink or swim, survive or perish. We're doing this. Kind of a phrase that's come from that is, he burned the ships. I think for King and Country sang a song that's based off, burn the ships. It was a commitment in his life to say, this is what I'm supposed to do. Crazy enough, two years later, the Aztec Empire falls. Because Cortez was willing to burn the ships, to give himself no retreat, no other alternative but to go forward. I would remind you that the Lord is calling us. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's that kind of Cortez-like, all-in mentality that will enable you to win the prize. Lord, I believe that you want to make me like Jesus and that in doing this, that it is the prize of my life. And I believe that you can do it if I'm willing to give myself to you. My ask of you today is can you burn the ships? Can you go all in on this mentality? Can you believe that what God wants to do with your life is is to do more than get you to heaven. He wants to make you like his son, Jesus Christ. That's a process of a lifetime that actually we talk about in these circles. We call it sanctification. And then John talks about that when we see him, we will be like him, we'll be glorified. But this is the goal of our life. This was Paul's mission in his own life. I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and I want to become like him so that then I might show a lost, dying world who he is. This is what God wants to do in our lives. Are you willing to go all in on that? Let's pray. Father, I just ask in my own life, I I think it's easy for me to think because you've called me into ministry that that you're still not calling me to stretch myself before you in all ways. Lord, I do that. I want nothing more than to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to be your disciple. I want to walk with you because as I walk with you, I become like you. I learn who you are, what you feel. I see your power and your ability. I know your goodness and your strength. And then as you change me and conform me into your image, I get to live out this purpose in this world where people, just like Steve asked Sammy, what is it about you that's different? There's something you have that I want. It's the person and the life of Christ in us. Lord, help us to go all in on that. Help us to believe 
that this is what you want to do with our life. This is the prize. This is the goal. And that you can, through the power of your Holy Spirit, make it happen. Lord, we commit ourselves in this way to you. And we pray these things. And if you would agree in prayer with being all in with Jesus, would you say amen? Amen. Thank you. Have a great week and be blessed. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.